Hey everybody, we're going to get to the Landslide Fleetwood Mac tribute episode in just a second, but first I need you to do me a favor. I need you to head over to songsoftoriamus.com slash fire, and I need you to click the GoFundMe link that's on that page. It's for my friend Saker Hines. This week, she and her husband and her three kids suffered a devastating house fire that left them shocked and temporarily without shelter. She's good people. She's Tory people. She's part of the Tory community. She's been on this podcast several times. If you like the Alamo or Sister Named Desire episodes or her first episode, Butterfly, then please consider pitching in to help Saker Hines and her family get back on their feet. So if you head over to songsoftoryamus.com slash fire and click the GoFundMe link that's on that page. I put it on that page because her name is a bit complicated and I don't want you to go to a dead page. So songsoftoryamus.com slash fire. Click the GoFundMe link and donate anything you can to help Saker. Truly, every little bit will help them get back on their feet. Once again, that's songsoftoriamus.com slash fire. And the GoFundMe link is on that page. Thank you. Now here's Landslide. Hey, everybody. You're listening to Drive All Night, the songs of Tori Amos. We are your hosts. I'm Efren Schoenier. And I'm David Anderson. And on today's episode, we're talking about Landslide, a special song from the compilation CDs. Live 105, 10-year anniversary, and Y100 Sonic Sessions. They wanted to know, what is your favorite cover, cover song to play in concert? Well, probably Landslide by Stevie Nicks. But I was covering that in 1991, 92. So it was just one of my favorite songs growing up. Right. And I know, you know, a lot of people love that song. And it's just one of those songs that people play. You want to hear it? I would love to hear it. I think, would anyone else? <laughs> To my love, took it down. I climbed a mountain and I turned around. And I saw my reflection in the snow-covered hills till the landslide brought me down. Oh, mirror and sky. Good evening, David. Good evening, America. Good evening, America. <laughs> I'm Chloe Sevigny. You were also kind of Dracula-ish there, too. You were like Chloe Sevigny as a vampire. I like it. For the last two days, everyone at work has been saying, are you sick? And really? I'm saying, no, I feel fine. And they're like, you sound much deeper. And I'm like, But well, they I... mean like sick. No, they mean sick. Oh, you do sound a little sick. Are you? I'm not sick. What's wrong with you then? I've grown Stop up. Stop it. I hit puberty. Finally. finally. <laughs> <laughs> You're blossoming before my eyes. Before your eyes. I knew once Boys for Pele was over... I would finally come into my womanhood. You're becoming a choir girl. A choir woman. Hi, David. Hi. How are you? Oh, fine. Okay, good. <laughs> Moving on. Moving on. The landslide has already brought me down. I'm sorry to hear that. Couldn't get any worse. You want to test the universe? No. You want to tempt point. fate? I'd withdrawn. Well, I'm sorry to hear that, David, but let's work through it with this track, shall yeah, we? let's just ignore it. Well, That's always a good coping but mechanism. But we're not going to ignore the track. Okay. Because I love 
this song. And I have a deep history with this song. I know. I was going to ask you about that. Were you? Oh, that's right so sweet. after I got done asking how you're doing, but... I'm fine. Rush on through. I'm fine, you know. We're recording this early September. My birthday's coming up. Landslide always pops up for me around my birthday. You and Tori. Yeah, me and Tori. Around a birthday, we play Landslide. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> we're getting older, too. I know. Even children get older. And old people get older, too. <laughs> Beautiful cherubs like Eve, even they get older. Oh, believe it or not. Anyhow, do you remember the first time you heard Landslide, David? I don't remember the first time I heard it, but I'm going to tell you something. The first person I ever dated, he was like super into Fleetwood Mac. And you ever have someone bring music into your life and then things don't go well and you forever have like a negative association with yes, it? Maybe yes. not forever. But I was kind of put off Fleetwood Mac for a long time because of connecting it to a certain person. So really? I was kind of like, meh. It was like nails on a chalkboard to me. Really? That's definitely not the case anymore. And I've sort of discovered, you know, my own relationship with them independent of all of that and grown up a little bit, I guess. So. I'm excited to explore that and to use this episode not only to pay tribute to this song, Landslide, but to pay tribute to Fleetwood Mac and Stevie Nicks. Mm-hmm. Because beyond this song, Tori has performed a lot of Fleetwood Mac, but none of it's been officially released. So this has to act as the episode where we honor all of Fleetwood Mac. Is this the band or artist that she has covered the most? Different tracks of? Yes. I would put this and Joni Mitchell at the top. Yeah. And has she ever covered a Stevie Nicks solo song? I don't think so. Has she not done some kind of mashup of Edge of Seventeen and When Doves Cry? Or so? I don't Maybe. know. It sounds like something she would do. It's how, yeah. We'll explore it today all here right. in this very episode, ladies and gentlemen. This is a journey for all of us. We're going to explore it together. But tell me about the first time you heard the song or what your relationship with it is. When I heard Fleetwood Mac for the first time, I didn't necessarily connect to Fleetwood Mac. I would say I was about 10 when I was going through my mom's record collection. My mom had a huge record collection and my mom had Belladonna, Stevie Nicks' solo album. And my mom was obsessed with Edge of Seventeen, at least in my opinion, at that point in my life. And she was playing it all the time. And I loved that song and I loved how long the song was. This was probably close to my awakening of Tori. You know, I don't know when that album came out, 77, I think, maybe 81. I don't know. It was was long after that. And it was kind of my awakening. So like music can be very long. There was a narrative and there was detail and imagery. And it felt like I was reading a novel when I would listen to Mm. that song. So that's where I fell in love with Stevie Nicks. I wasn't necessarily a Fleetwood Mac fan until recently, honestly. I would say 2005. Yeah, it was probably a little before 2005 for me. But like I said, it took me a while to come around. And I definitely have a deep appreciation for them now. And this sounds, I don't know, it's probably lack of maturity too. But they seemed already sort of old to me at mm-hmm. the time. Like it felt like music my parents would listen to. Me too. Because they me probably too. did. Yeah. And I don't know why that needs to be such a pejorative, I guess, because when you're a kid, like you don't want to you associate yourself. with what yeah. your parents are listening to. Exactly. If I have to go to one more Neil Diamond concert. <laughs> if I had to listen to MacArthur Park one more time, that disco hit. Yeah, someone left the cake out in the rain. Get over it. <laughs> but you miss out on good stuff sometimes. You, you got to get over it. You really do. Be open-minded. You really, really do. My mom had an incredible record collection that I now have a greater appreciation for. John Baez. But Landslide in particular, I'm curious to know how, what changed for you where it took it from this person that you had dated when that switched? I don't know. It was subtle over time. And you know, Fleetwood Mac is one of those bands that you always, they're still played on the radio all All the the time. time. They're classic. Yeah. 
And kind of like, I don't know, Michael Jackson is probably not the best example, but even if you're not a fan, you somehow know like way more of their songs mm -hmm. than you realize. Mm -hmm. And I think over time, I just started paying more attention. And I bought, I think when I was working at the record store, like they put out a two disc greatest hits or something mm -hmm. that we were playing a lot. And I just, again, my ears perked up and I started establishing my own relationship with the music. And they have a lot of really, obviously, beautiful songs. So. Right. Right. I think for me, two things happened. Um, Tori performed Dreams during the 2005 Beekeeper tour and her brother had just passed away and she dedicated that song to her brother. And it was a very, and I loved that song anyway. That song was a great song. There's something about the hook and just the melancholia in it that I loved. So when Tori played it, that made me interested a little bit more in the music, but it wasn't until Dee Dee Banami on American Idol performed Rhiannon that's when I really began to appreciate Fleetwood Mac as someone that I would listen to and, of course, at the time, download illegally. I'm going to tell you something embarrassing. Maybe two things. Do. I think what when I really started coming around to Fleetwood Mac was I really took a liking to Dreams, which you just mentioned, and I put it on a mix that I would listen to in my parents' hot tub in the summer, just staring oh, up at the starry sky. And it was really a moment that, that I was having beautiful. with myself. That sounds beautiful. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing I feel the need to tell you is... I'm on Team McVie. Okay. I love okay. me some Christine McVie, her husky, world-weary wisdom. I didn't even realize there were teams. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, mean, you of all people, you make a team out of anything. I, exactly. I'm team. I didn't know there was teams. There probably isn't. I don't know. I really have a liking for Christine McVie and her songs in particular. Like, give me some You Make Loving Fun. Here's the thing with Fleetwood Mac. Like, I know there's a lot of drama surrounding the band because I've heard, you know, people leave the band and then someone quit a tour recently. But I really, I don't know the intimate details of the band's life because I haven't really, you know, I don't know all their songs. I know the hits now. I think I do have that double disc collection. Yeah. You know, the music is good, but it's never been something that I've cared to know about their personal lives. And I'm a casual fan at best. I don't think Tori has spoken that much about Fleetwood Mac or Stevie Nicks specifically. She's talked a lot about Joan. Mitchell and some of the other artists that meant a lot to her that maybe her brother introduced her to and mm -hmm. while she's played or covered a lot of their songs live she hasn't talked a lot about right, them right. although she think. has mentioned some a couple things here and there which we have compiled which we'll talk mm. about do you want to talk about our guest on today's episode yes we are lucky enough to know a Fleetwood Mac super fan and I said Peter Zimmerman come on the show prove your worth as a Fleetwood Mac super fan he better look out because he knows we're gonna haunt the crap out of him from beyond <laughs> the grave if you listen to the graveyard episode you know what we mean <laughs> our Fleetwood Mac super fan is our one and only Peter Zimmerman and I'm so excited to interview him today and grill him it's gonna be a grilling he's dubbed himself a super fan he is. Do we know I, what his credentials are? Loving the music, knowing okay. the music, and knowing more than us. Fair enough. I told him he can't be partial to Tori. He's got to give his stamps of approval or not on the songs. So it's not just going to be on Landslide. It's going to be on all the songs. That's a tall order. Yeah. I don't know if he can separate himself from his inherent bias. He does have an inherent bias towards Fleetwood Mac. Okay. I, I'm gonna, we're going to find out, but I think he was maybe a Fleetwood Mac fan before a Tori Amos fan. Mm -hmm. We'll find out his details. He'll do all the heavy lifting today. Thank goodness. Oh, you could take a break, David, from the heavy lifting. <laughs> I haven't had time to stretch. I just... Uh... <laughs> We also want to give a shout out to Shay Stymac for putting together our wonderful research document as always. Forever and always, she is and remains Shay. Shay Annan. Shay Annan comes like a bell in the night. Is oh, you never... What are the, what Wouldn't are the words you love Rhiannon? to love her? Wouldn't you love to love her? Well, yeah, you I would. She belongs to us. Shay, thank you as always. We love you. And it's very much appreciated. You want to say hi to our Patreon supporters? Hi. 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 <laughs> 
hello to Heather Spear, who jumped up from the $5 level to the $10 level. Hi, Heather. Hit us, Heather, one more time. Hello to Keith Egan, our brand new supporter. Hi, Keith. Oops, he did it again. You're very Britney today. I know. What's Ooh, that? Have Oops. you been listening to Blackout in the Car? Oh, is my Britney showing? Tampax. Tampax. We also like to say hello to our other Patreon supporter for the month, Jonathan Swales, who went up from the $5 level to the $10 level. Thanks, Jonathan. Let's set Swales for sexy shores. No, no. Britney Spears song with the word Swales in it, David. No. E-Swale my heart. Email my heart. You don't know enough, Brittany. No, I don't. Well, those are our Patreon supporters. Should we jump ahead to landslide? Let's bring it down. So this is a little bit more of the original, which we played in the beginning. This is a different version by Fleetwood Mac. This is for you, Daddy. Took my love and I took it down. I climbed a mountain and I turned around, and I saw my reflection in the snow-covered hills till the landslide brought me down. Oh, mirror in the sky, what is love? child within my heart rise above can I sail through the changing ocean tides can I handle the seasons of my life Mm -mm, I don't know Mm -mm. there was a moment Towards the end of 1974, where I was really getting tired of being a waitress, and I was really, really getting tired of being just so poor. We could not afford to buy anything except just enough food to eat, and that was it, and gas for our car. During that year, I considered, you know, well, if we do this record and it, you know, and we have no luck with it, maybe I'll just go back to school for a year. And at least I'll be, you know, able to to breathe, to not have to not have to be a, you know, working on music all night long and being a waitress all day. And so this, you know, didn't just didn't do a lot for our relationship because fear never helps relationships. And when you are kind of scared about where your next money is coming from, or really, how are you going to keep this whole boat afloat? It's really nerve-wracking, and so it's that's hard on a relationship, and it was very hard on our relationship. And there were points during that time where I was like, this is never gonna work. This is just never gonna work, and we're gonna end up breaking up, and everything we've worked for is gonna be done, and it's all gonna be for nothing. That's really what the song Landslide is about, to give that up because we our relationship wasn't working. I just, you know, made several many different decisions along the way. Is it worth is it worth staying in this relationship to keep this music together? And my my opinion always was yes, it is. What we have to offer is way better than what I have to offer by myself, or what he has to offer by himself. So you need to stay together. 
That was Stevie Nicks talking a little bit about the history of Landslide in the early days of Fleetwood Mac, I guess. That's actually kind of moving. You hear so many stories from artists or people who want to work in entertainment where they're at their wits end and they're thinking of kind of cashing in their chips and going home and that's when they break through or something changes. And it sounds like that was the case for Stevie Nicks too. She was working as a waitress. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What's funny is that we're so familiar with Tori's story her origin story, right? And how little earthquakes developed and all of the things leading up to it. It's interesting, but not surprising to hear that an, another artist has a story like that, where it was a struggle, a struggle, a struggle that we don't really think, I don't think of other artists' origin stories too often. Weird. Well, this clip was from Oprah's masterclass. Have you heard Oprah ever tell her story about getting her role in the color purple? No, I haven't. It's very similar. She wanted nothing more than to be cast in Steven Spielberg's film adaptation of The Color Purple. Okay. And she becomes convinced that she needs to lose weight to get the role. So she's off at a fat camp. These are her words, or fat camp. And anyway, she sort of like lets it all go. And she has a moment where she said she could like feel something click. And she looked up at the sky and like surrendered this dream and everything she'd be going for. And then someone immediately walked out and was like, oh, Steven Spielberg is calling you on the phone. He wants to talk to you. And he called and offered her the role in The Color Purple. What? Which she'd auditioned for. It's not like he randomly called her. Right, of course. Anyway, she didn't think she she was going to get it. And she'd given up the dream. Yes. Wow. Let go and let God, I guess is what they say. Exactly right. Let go and let goddess. So that was a little bit of Stevie Nicks. There's not much of Tori talking about the song. So we're going to just kind of go through the history of the song. Um, But first and foremost... Landslide was written by Stevie Nicks with vocals by Stevie Nicks and guitars by Lindsey Buckingham. And here's just a little bit from the Fleetwood Mac page. Fleetwood Mac are a British American rock band formed in London in 67. They have sold more than 120 million records worldwide, making them one of the world's best-selling bands. In 1998, select members of Fleetwood Mac were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and received the Brit Award for Outstanding Contribution to Music. They were founded by guitarist Peter Green, drummer Mick Fleetwood, and guitarist Jeremy Spencer. Bassist John McVie completed the lineup for their self-titled debut album. Danny Kerwin joined as a third guitarist in 1968. Keyboardist Christine Perfect, who contributed as a session musician from the second album, married McVie and joined in 70. At this time, it was primarily a British blues band, scoring a UK number one with Albatross, and had lesser hits with its singles Oh Well and Black Magic Woman. All three guitarists left in succession during the early 70s to be replaced with guitarists Bob Welsh and Bob Weston, and vocalist Dave Walker. By 1974, all three had either departed or been dismissed, leaving the band without a male lead vocalist or guitarist. In late 1974, while Fleetwood was scouting studios in Los Angeles, he was introduced to folk rock duo Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks. Fleetwood Mac soon asked Buckingham to be their new lead guitarist, and Buckingham agreed on condition that Nicks could also join the band. The addition of Buckingham and Nicks gave the band a more pop rock sound, and their 75 self-titled album Fleetwood Mac reached number one in the United States. 1977's Rumors, Fleetwood Mac's second album after the arrival of Buckingham and Nicks, produced four U.S. top 10 singles and remained at number one on the American album charts for 31 weeks. I had no idea, to be perfectly honest. It sounds ignorant and naive, but I didn't know that they had a whole life before Stevie Nicks. Yeah, it took them a while to find that magic. I actually did know that, but I find that fascinating that a band that became one of the top-selling acts of all time 
had kind of a rotating lineup for mm-hmm. a long time mm-hmm. and put out albums with completely different people. Yeah. Um, but kept the name. Right. And what a stroke of kismet that Stevie Nicks joined the band as well. And look at what happened. Look, it was just magic. You're right. I, I need like someone it. bargaining on my behalf like that. Me like, too. I'll do it, but only if David can come. Exactly. <laughs> I'll go to game night, but only if David can come. <laughs> So a little bit more about Landslide, the origin of Landslide before we get into Tori Amos. Um, Landslide is a song written by Stevie Nicks and performed by Fleetwood Mac. It was featured on the band's self-titled 75 album, Fleetwood Mac, so the very first album they did as that particular unit. The original recording also appears on the compilation albums 25 Years of the Chain and The Very Best of Fleetwood Mac. While a live version was released as a single 23 years later from the live reunion album, The Dance, that's what we played a few minutes ago, it reached number 51 on the Billboard Hot 100 charts and 10 on the Adult Contemporary charts. Landslide was certified gold on October 2009 for sales of over 500,000 copies of the United States. Do you remember that when they the released live The version? Dance and yeah. it was suddenly all over the radio? Uh, all the time, yeah. The guy I mentioned at the top of the show, he went to that taping. Oh, really? So you could see him there. He was a Fleetwood Mac super fan. Yeah, he was. Should we get him on the show? And absolutely not. We could bridge the troubled waters, David. It was, <laughs> there, are, there are no waters, let alone troubled waters. Let alone I'm bridges dry as left. A bone. <laughs> Thought I was over it now. Hmm. Now onto the Tory version, a little bit, because then we're going to go back to Fleetwood Mac. But the Tory version appears on the Live 105 10-year anniversary promo radio compilation in 1996. What's interesting to me is that there's no release date there's no official release date it just says 96 so that's why we put it at the end of 96 after blue skies we know it didn't come out before pele so it couldn't go at the beginning of 96 so there was nowhere else to put it but at the end and it was a promo compilation right so not really something for sale exactly so there isn't really an official release date right except for the one that was for sale which was y100 sonic sessions compilation which you could purchase for sale and that was 97 that was released mm-hmm. in 1997 so that's why it falls here prior to siren which has a release date so it's just cleaner and easier to put it here we like it clean and easy we like it clean and easy (laughs) do you want to read this quote from performing songwriter on may 26 2013 it's a big one should we share it sure but this is a quote from stevie nicks all right (laughs) not from tori amos (laughs) it was written in 1973 at a point where lindsey buckingham and i had driven to aspen for him to rehearse for two weeks with don everly Lindsay was going to take Phil's place, so they rehearsed and left, and I made a choice to stay in Aspen. I figured I'd stay there, and one of my girlfriends was there. We stayed there for almost three months while Lindsay was on the road, and this is right after the Buckingham Knicks record had been dropped. And it was horrifying to Lindsay and I because we had a taste of the big time. We recorded in a big studio, we met famous people, we made what we considered to be a brilliant record, and nobody liked it. I'd been a waitress and a cleaning lady, and I didn't mind any of this. I was perfectly delighted to work and support us so that Lindsay could produce and work and fix our songs and make our music. But I had gotten to a point where it was like, I'm not happy, I'm tired, but I don't know if we can do any better than this. If nobody likes this, then what are we going to do? So during that two months, I made a decision to continue. Landslide was the decision. The lyric, when you see my reflection in the snow-covered hills, it's the only time in my life that I've lived in the snow. But looking up at those rocky mountains and going, okay, we can do it. I'm sure we can do it. In one of my journal entries, it says, I took Lindsay and said we're going to the top and that's what we did within a year mick fleetwood called us and we were in fleetwood mac making 800 a week a piece washing 100 bills through the laundry it was hysterical it was like we were rich overnight that's not enough money to wash your hundos in the in the laundry i know <laughs> get smaller bills right we were shredding the hundreds on the washing board <laughs> 
A taste of the big time. Huh? Uh, they took it to the top. So it's a song about continuing on through the hard times, right? The landslide bringing you down, but picking up and moving on. At least that's what I'm getting at the beginning. I'm going to have to spend more time with these lyrics because I don't necessarily get that from the story that she told. We should do a line by line. Should we? Yeah. Okay. Okay. This is a quote from In the Studio with Redbeard, May 1992. And this is an interview with Stevie Nicks. I realized then that everything could tumble. And when you're in Colorado and you're surrounded by these incredible mountains, you think avalanche. Avalanche. It meant the whole world could tumble around us and the landslide would bring you down. And a landslide in the snow is like deadly. And when you're in that kind of snow-covered surrounding place, you don't just go out and yell because the whole mountain could come down on you. Landslide I wrote on the guitar, and it's another one that I wrote in about five minutes. But see, when I'm really thinking about something, I mean, when something's really bothering me, again, the best thing that I can do is go to the music room or to the office where I can write. Because once I put it down and I can read it back and I can think about what I'm saying, then it makes sense to me. When I'm just thinking it in my head, it's going around and around and I feel like a little child unable to make a real substantial decision. And we were talking about our lives, the rest of our lives. That's got to be a big moment. I'm thinking back to the previous quote where she says, we thought this record was brilliant. If no one likes it, I don't know that we can do better than this. I'm really proud of this. This is emblematic of who I am as an artist. But if nobody likes it, then maybe it's time for me to pack up and and not continue. I've felt that way as an artist a couple of times in my career. Also, Stevie Nicks wrote Landslide in five minutes. It's her leather. I was going to say, what is this leather? Boom. We're ready with Tory references. (laughs) I love that, though. You can draw parallels between Stevie Nicks and Tory and probably most artists and songwriters, but this is how they work through things. And as Tori said, she writes music because she doesn't know how to say it any other way. And I love that it serves that purpose for them and that they can sort of work through their material or make a difficult decision that the song kind of guides them through that process. Yeah. I mean, to speak in the language of music, that's really beautiful. And to be able to channel all of this despair or this desperation actually into something as heartbreaking and meaningful to other people as a song like this, I think it's a true gift. And is there a better gift than to be a great artist that touches people? No, there's not. Mm. That's the answer. <laughs> this is from the Washington Post from an article titled Ellen Amos, The Marbury Woman from May 11th, 1984. There was music coming out of this newish looking brick building on M Street the other night, a sultry female voice singing something by Stevie Nicks coming right out of the building. It seemed my companion and I exchanged unknowing looks cautiously. We investigated glad we did. The music comes through speakers from the Marbury's Lion's Gate Tavern inside, a relatively tiny, undistinguished hotel bar made substantially more distinguished by the source of that voice. One, Ellen Amos, age 20. Amos, who is also occasionally known as Tori, may very well be a famous pop star someday. An accomplished pianist and gutsy singer, the Rockville minister's daughter entered the Peabody Conservatory at age five, but dropped out at 11 because, among other things, she was prone to apply a Beatles sensibility to Beethoven's sonatas. The other night, she demonstrated this happy sacrilege by whipping Beethoven's sonata in F minor into something even a fat man in a blue business suit could dance to. Dang. I want to talk about this. There's several key things in this little article. So this is 1984, right? Tori's 20 years old. She's not quite 21. She's in the bar playing. 
already known as Tori. I was going to say, I need to put up a bulletin board with maps and polaroids and red strings drawn between them. Yeah. Because I didn't realize that she was going by Tori this early. This young. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And how interesting is it for someone to say occasionally known as Tori? Like, that's a weird thing to drop. Like, this is my friend David. He occasionally goes by Jim. How does that make sense to anyone? Are you watching Big Brother? No. One of the guys on there goes by like three or four different names depending oh. on the day. So maybe that's a thing Tori. people do. They stole it from Tori Amos. <laughs> Mickey Jackson. What the hell? They stole it from Clyde, Pips, Santa, Isabel. I mean, Tori. Not the only thing. So there's that interesting thing. But also she's playing Stevie Nicks. I mean, it was a piano bar. She's playing covers, but... She already was playing Stevie Nicks back then, obviously developing a, a love for Stevie or having had developed a love for Stevie. What do you think? I'm not surprised. I think that would be a good fit for a piano lounge to be doing Stevie Nicks covers mm-hmm. for sure. What do you think she was singing? Just speculate. 1984. Leather and Lace. <gasps> Is that, had that already come out? I, isn't it on Belladonna? Oh, it was on Time Space. Oh, that was the Stevie Nicks compilation album. Yes. That's the first Stevie Nicks album I had. Oh, Time I... Space, that changed my opinion. So whenever Time Space came out, right before that, my mom had been really blasting Edge of Seventeen. So whatever the year that was, that's when I was like, oh, I can get this cassette tape of Time Space and rocked it all of the time. Yeah, and that's when I fell in love with Rooms on Fire and Stand Back, Stand Back. Stand Back is great. In the middle of my room. I didn't know. Hear it from you. Story of my life. <laughs> so as far as Tori and Stevie are concerned, their influence on each other or, or Stevie's influence on Tori more, I find it funny that there's never been, you know, they haven't really met we, have, we don't have pictures of them together. I, I have no stories of them meeting each other. What do you think about that? I feel like Tori would have popped up on one of those VH1 retrospectives about women in music talking about like yeah. how amazing Stevie Nicks is or something. But yeah. for whatever I reason. Um, I did find this quote, and this is from Vulture 2017, so only two years ago. Do you draw different things from the men and women who've influenced you? Well, what do you think an influence is? So anyway, she says, the fact is, like I said, that there are not a lot of women singer-songwriters having the level of success that men are. The guys are endless, the women are not. I know that's not a direct answer to your question, but it's a subject I really started wrapping my head around four years ago when I was making Unrepentant Geraldines. That's when I was underwater in the depths of menopause. I realized that I had to pull on some serious energy from deep within my being and also from the earth itself. By sheer will, I had to become a force of nature. Tina Turner was a force of nature in her early 50s. So was Nina Simone. Our industry, though, doesn't value women songwriters that are 50 and over. There's ageism, and certainly men aren't going to write the stories my generation needs to hear. Bette Midler and Barbara Streisand and Cher, they're not a parallel with alternative pop singer-songwriters. They're amazingly talented entertainers and actresses, but they're different than what I'm talking about. Country music seems to be open to having mature women tell their stories. You've got Emily Lou Harris, Reba McIntyre, and others. But in the alternative music field where I came from, there aren't many of us. Patti Smith is out there. We've got Stevie Nicks. There are some, but not many, and it's not a coincidence. So as far as her even mentioning Stevie, that's basically all that we could find. Although she says stuff on tour, you know, while she's playing the songs and stuff like that. But as far as talking about her publicly, you know, maybe it's her brother's music. And her brother was a little bit older, you know. So if she did play Dreams for him and Carrie in 2005, maybe that's a clue into that's kind of a little bit older than her. That's a good point. Maybe she specifically associates Fleetwood Mac and Stevie Nicks with her brother's influence. Yeah. More so than a Joni Mitchell, maybe. Yeah. I buy that. Mm -hmm. So those are the quotes. That's what we got. 
ladies and gentlemen. There's, it's very thin. Dunzo. For quotesos, should we talk about the lyrics? Sure. Why not? Should we go, I don't know, word by word? Or do you want to go couplet by couplet? Or should we go... Keep going. Line stanza by, by line? stanza? Line oh, by line. Okay. That sounds manageable. Bold choice. Took my love, took it down. Like I loved too loud, so I brought it down? Or my love kind of faded away? What do you think? I'm thinking of the story about what inspired the song. And in this case, for me, I think it's her love of maybe music or songwriting or the career that she hoped to have. And taking it down maybe means she's considering let it go, setting it free, kind of adrift, maybe. Oh, so the music is the love. Mm -hmm. Or a dual meaning, also a love for a man, possibly. And taking it off the shelf. Yeah, and they were kind of intertwined here, right? The career she was trying to build and the relationship she was in at the time. She were, does say in that quote in the beginning, was this relationship worth staying in because they together had more to offer? It seems almost like she's talking about musically. Mm-hmm. So it does seem like they were kind of wrapped around each other. Yeah. I like that image, though, of putting something away, taking it off the shelf. Not to keep going back to leather, but the idea that like if you have something on your wall that you look at that inspires you and then you feel a different way about it and you pull it down. How sad that is. And I'm also thinking of winter, too, with so many dreams on the shelf. Mm -hmm. Landslide, avalanche, winter. There's like Mm. a parallel there, too. Maybe you're taking the dream off the shelf and just giving it one last look and then putting it back for good, or I don't know. You have to imagine that struggling as an artist at this point in her career, having no success, is probably climbing a mountain and looking back on all that you've tried to accomplish and all the struggles that you've been through and you've got nothing still. Great. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Moving on. And I saw my reflection in the snow-covered hills. So you see your reflection, you're wondering maybe how you got to this point or who you've become and if you're happy with this person or... There's always a mirror in the picture right when you need to examine yourself. (laughs) Some way to see yourself in a pool of water or in the snow-covered hills. I love the imagery, though, of letting it all go and then just being washed away by the snow. The landslide or avalanche, as she kind of paralleled them just kills you. It just kind of clobbers you. And you're standing at the top of the mountain, climbed a mountain, and barreled by the snow and wiped away completely. I love that image. Oh, mirror and sky, what is love? As we're diving into this now, I can't believe I haven't noticed before all the parallels between landslide and winter. There's a mirror in the sky, mirror, mirror, where's the crystal palace? And even going back a few lines, to me, there's similarities even between the lines, see my reflection in the snow-covered hills and skating around the truth of who I am. I don't mm-hmm. know. There's sort of mm-hmm. DNA of landslide woven through winter, I guess. That's maybe, interesting. Maybe that's why Tori hasn't talked about Stevie Nicks. She doesn't right. want to <laughs> give away her... Her secret influence. Right. Oh, mirror and sky, what is love? To me, narratively, I find it really rich that she's been wiped away by the landslide, right? This avalanche has come and clobbered her, and now she's talking to the sky. Or presumably God or whoever there can answer this question, what is love? Which is a basic question, kind of what is the meaning of life? What is this that I'm doing? It's interesting to kind of romanticize being swept away. 
by a landslide, mm-hmm. right? Or an avalanche. What does that mean to you? Like, I'm just going to let it all go? I think so. Or I'm being erased or I'm, I'm over. I'm done. The landslide brought me down. It's it. Like life got to me and I let it go. I didn't hold on to it. Or that things are fragile, maybe. Things can change in an instant, and Mm -hmm. the landslide can come for you at any time. Mm -hmm. And yes, I think that the narrator has a lot of agency in it, because she climbs to the top of the mountain, and it seems like she's allowing it to happen, right? Mm -hmm. I saw my reflection in the snow-covered hills till the landslide brought me down. I was just staring at this thing until it happened. And there doesn't seem to be any fight in it. What do you think? Yeah, it doesn't. It also doesn't seem sort of self-destructive to me, or mm-hmm. like there's a courting of death or anything. Mm-hmm. It all seems, again, romantic is kind of the only word that comes to mind. And also, that there's like a cleansing happening and a release. Yeah, also a little cosmic or faded. I agree there's no self-destructive quality that I'm getting from the song, but there is a lot of sad, or maybe I'm reading too much into it, but it feels to me like there's a lot of sadness and guilt and self-blame for the landslide coming and Mm. this idea i took i took my love i took it down and then here we are mirror in the sky what is love and then this line it's almost as if tori if you think about i can see why she relates to this song because there's a quote that i think we read in the happy phantom episode like i didn't know how i got to this place where i was so i who used to be imaginative and free suddenly became this big kind of needy somebody this big lump of a person and that's how it feels like can this purity of what i was rise above all of these issues or these problems or this me having lost myself in a way That's what it feels like in this song. What do you think? For sure. And also kind of connecting childhood with magic and potential and creativity and dreams that you still believe are possibly going to come true. And being at that cusp, right, of do I let this dream go or do I see it through till it kills me? Is this thing that I've been holding on to my whole life worth continuing to hold on to? Can I sail through the changing ocean Hair is gray and the fires are burning. Oh. We can keep going, man. Wow. Wow. I love how stark and straightforward that line is, though. Can I handle the seasons of my life? Can I handle it? I don't know. Am I going to be able to weather the storm? Mm. And there have been seasons in my life, personally, I'm only speaking from a personal perspective, where it feels like I cannot weather the storm. I cannot handle this. And you you have to get through it, I think. I went to see the director's cut of Midsummer recently, mm-hmm. and they were talking about the phases of life and equating them with the seasons. And I hate to tell you, but we're in the autumn of our lives now, mm. <laughs> which for me is, you know, doesn't get much better than that. So the autumn started your late 20s? Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. 17. Well, I'm afraid of change, because I'm David, I have to say, I've listened to the song in the Tory version. I've connected with it on many levels, but it's never, what you said earlier was a revelation to me. 
that your love is your passion and your dream, not some other person. And I've always related the love because I built my life around you, this other person. And that's maybe why I've connected to it. But if you think of it as this thing that you're working so hard for, it's really starting to affect me in a different way. And it's, it's moving in a different way. I've spent my whole life working for this thing. And I've been afraid of expanding and changing because this has been what I've worked for for so long. That's really revelatory that you said that. Yeah. And what do you do when a dream disappoints you? Yeah. Oh, but time makes you bolder. Even a children get older. I'm getting older Tough line, huh? <laughs> Honest line. I'm getting older too, David. How do you how do you take that line? Do you think she's sad about it? Do you think it's she's resigned? I think it's both. There's a bittersweet quality here, an acknowledgement that time is passing, and maybe the time for certain things has come and gone. Mm -hmm. Again, it reminds me of Tori at the edge of her breakthrough after why can't tori read feeling like she was over feeling like now i'm just writing for myself and if no one ever hears it at least i'm writing for myself and writing honestly but accepting that no one may ever hear it <laughs> letting that dream go maybe a little bit this is a good reminder because tori has felt that way several times throughout her life right she even says at 11 yeah. was the first time she felt like it was over yeah so you can like have this moment of processing things but there's always kind of a new beginning so maybe we should maintain that perspective too yeah i mean the new beginning is important to remember but it's not you can't ignore the depths of despair and maybe that's part of what the landslide is too sometimes you know there's creation through destruction or yeah. you can't get to the new without tearing down the old so you can let the landslide kind of wash it all away and then Start, Start over. fresh, yeah. yeah. You know, and when the spring comes and everything melts away, you can have a new life as a waitress. <laughs> Do you think she's the waitress that Tori was singing about? That's why she doesn't talk about her. She secretly <laughs> hates Stevie Nicks. They've had a years-long feud, Since and only one the of them knows about it. So take my love, take it down. So we change tense here. So take my love, take it down is different than I took my love, I took it down. So it's kind of like she's telling herself, all right, it's okay. I'm going to do this. Or she's asking someone almost. Uh, maybe, yeah. a request or... Yeah, sort of directing someone else, it feels like. Yeah. Wow. And if you see That to me says a lot of really sad, sad things. Like, don't worry about me. I'll be dead in a minute. But the perspective kind of changes here, as you pointed out. And she's sort of imploring someone to take her love or... It almost seems like, keep my love with you, keep it alive, kind of, because I've gone. Do you know that scene in Coco, the movie, mm. where they're in the afterlife and there's one man, spoiler alert, but there's one man who is almost completely washed away, disappeared because he's been almost completely forgotten. And then the last person that remembered him, I guess, dies. And so he's then completely forgotten and he blows away in the wind. And I feel kind of like that here. So take my love, take it down. Almost like to take something down is also to write it down too and to record it. Take my love, take it down and maybe go bury it in the sand or keep it with you because I'm gone. The landslide brought me down. 
I think there's also kind of an acknowledgement here of how much someone else means to you, even if you're not together anymore. I almost feel like there's like a breakup moment here. And now maybe it is more so about a relationship for a man mm-hmm. and that maybe they're parting ways, but there's still sort of a deep appreciation for what they had together. Yeah. I can't get over that line. The landslide brought me down. Going back to past tense at the end is so final and it's just what it was and it's how it was and it's over. Yeah. It's not hopeful at the end, but it's not necessarily tragic. Yeah, there's like an equality of inevitability almost and kind of like in the quote where Stevie Nicks is talking about when you live in the snow like that, you don't go out and yell. And there's almost like a tiptoeing here, like doing everything you can to maintain a situation or a relationship or to build something and uh, you kind of pull one thread and it all comes crashing down around you. Is that true that you can't go out and yell in the snow? We shouldn't. Have you ever seen like a Wile E. Coyote cartoon? No. (laughs) I'm being serious. Do you know anything about it? You're more skied than I am. (laughs) You're more well skied. (laughs) I'm more recently skied. You're more recently skied than I am. I think a loud noise, yes, can trigger an avalanche. Yeah. I don't know that I knew that. That's frightening because I have a very loud voice. (laughs) Use your indoor voice. Use your non-avalanche voice. (laughs) Well, that song's utterly depressing. That landslide sure brought me down. What's your favorite lyrical moment? I know Tori didn't write this. I think my favorite lyrical moment is I've been afraid of changing because I've built my life around you. Whether it be a dream or a relationship, you get to a point where there's a fork in the road and you have a decision to make if you want to keep going or... And the idea of changing what you want midstream or allowing yourself to realize that what you want has changed that's really scary too that is a scary thing to even admit let alone try to figure out where to go from there Mm -hmm. so rough so my favorite lyrical moment not that anyone that co-hosts this podcast ever asks me but my favorite lyrical moment is i'm getting older too especially when tori sings it directly to you yeah there have been times in my life where i've really connected to that line Aging as a private citizen, not in the public eye, is also difficult. I'm sure aging in the public eye is very, very difficult, especially if, and I, you know, that quote that we read where Tori says, there are no female musicians over 50 that have the career that the men do. It's true. She's fucking right. But it's still hard getting old as a private citizen, older. It's some stupid thing that we have in this, in our society, in our magazines, in our movies. We're not represented as oldies. Well, the only solution is to go even more private with it. Okay. I'm (laughs) I'm just going to sit in a dark room and wait for it all to be over. Okay. (laughs) I love it. Um, Should we do the Yanta cover? Should we listen to the Yanta cover and talk about the music? Sure. Okay. When's he going to cover Song for Eric? So it is worth noting that Yanta is transcribing the Y100 Sonic Sessions performance of Landslide from the compilation CD that you could purchase. Though Landslide appeared in two different places around the same time, Live 105 and Y100 Sonic Sessions, there were different performances. The one on Live 105 is crystal clear. It sounds almost like a studio version. But the Y100 that he's transcribing has a little bit of live audience noise, and you can tell it's live. (laughs) This is a cover that I used to do sometimes. Um, Just seems to want to come.
unique intro there that she didn't normally do. Right. Took my love, I took it down. There are obviously many, many covers of Landslide. Everyone covers Landslide, right? But for the most part, I don't think people put that unique of a stamp on it. They're usually guitar based. They follow the original very closely. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't go so far as to call Tori's version a reinvention, but obviously it's on a different instrument and it has a totally different flavor to it. Would you say that it's a little bit more melancholy or reflective because the piano seems to be just a more reflective instrument or because it's a softer instrument in some ways? All of the above and it, you know, Tori brings her special brand of melancholy in the way that only she can. I don't know what you're talking about. It is and just textured with those bass notes. I'm going to be biased because of my Tory fandom, but the guitar on the original is kind of busy. There's like a lot of kind of finger picking and it just doesn't have the same resonance for me personally. I just don't respond to that instrument or that style of playing the same way I do to this sort of rich piano. afraid to punctuate a moment with silence. Beautiful. What can we say? It's gorgeous. It's sad. <laughs> it's well played. There's a version, I think, from Tori Stories where Tori does say something very briefly at the beginning. Do you know what I'm talking about? And she says something like, I play this sometimes when I'm sad. 
it doesn't mean that I am sad. I just like to be sad sometimes or something <laughs> like that. And I totally get that. Sometimes you just need that good bottle of wine and some depressing songs every once in a while. I might play this sometimes when I'm sad. I get what you mean, girl. I get what you mean. I play Landslide too when I'm sad, but on Spotify. I'm going to have to try it in a hot tub. This is Didi Banami with her life changing cover of Rhiannon from American Idol. Rhiannon rings like a bell through the night, and wouldn't you love to love her? Takes to the sky like a bird in flight, and who will be her lover? All your life you've never seen a woman taken by the wind Would you stay if she promised you heaven? Will you ever win? She is like a cat in the dark and then she is the darkness She rules her life like a fine sky lark and when the sky Starless All your life You've never seen a woman Taken by the wind Would you stay if she promised you heaven Will you ever win Will you ever win Ladies and gentlemen, you will not believe who I found hiding behind the couch. He popped out. David got scared and ran out the door. It's Peter Zimmerman. Hello. Sit back, ladies and gentlemen, because Peter Zimmerman is about to give us a fleet jacation. <laughs> How would you say a it? A fleet jacation? A fleet jacation. An edge of Fleetwood. Oh, I love that. We've invited Peter on our show today to give us a full Fleetwood Mac history. There's a lot of twists and turns in Fleetwood Mac's story, and I don't know, I don't know anything about it. So we invited Peter here. We're going to treat this as a tribute episode to Fleetwood Mac. And so he's our super fan. Peter is actually a real life super fan of Fleetwood Mac. I am. And if you've ever been to a party with me, you've seen how badly I've crashed whenever I try to (laughs) use these little tidbits as party discussions. You kill a party. That's for sure. Well, did you hear about Songbird? Let me tell you this is long, long story, story about, about Edge of Lindsay Buckingham and Stevie Nicks. <laughs> well, please, you're not going to kill this party. Let's start at the beginning. Are you a fan of Tori Moore or Fleetwood Mac Moore? Tori. Okay. Fleetwood Mac's my favorite band. Oh, okay. Tori's my favorite singer, performer. Where does that put Stevie Nicks on your radar? Mm. Stevie, she's so inextricably tied to Fleetwood Mac that even though her solo career is so, so different, it's hard to... S- they kind of go together for mm-hmm. me so you would put her with the band and like yeah, an I extension mean, of the band the stuff she's done solo has been very different and it's been incredibly rich and she's continued to write music even after Fleetwood Mac hasn't put out much since the early 2000s um so it's a different type of career but Tori still still my main girl still your main girl mm-hmm. take us through that Fleetwood Mac career first because it's a little confusing there's yeah. a lot of twists and turns there are I think actually that's probably the trademark of the band is drama yeah which of course so you know I'm obsessed with that yes um 
if there's one way to make something more dramatic, you know I'm going to do it. Yes. <laughs> uh, so the band kind of has multiple different eras that people usually go to. Um, they think of it almost as two different bands. You have the pre Lindsay and Stevie Fleetwood Mac, which okay. existed for many years. And um, it was called Fleetwood Mac. Called Fleetwood Mac, okay. named after Mick Fleetwood and John McVie. Uh, okay. John McVie was their bass player, is their bass player. Though there was a whole dispute about who owned the name because Mick and John had actually given away the name rights to oh. the band. So in the 70s, there was this whole dispute about who could tour as Fleetwood Mac. And there was also issues with, was the band British? Was the band American? Um, and especially in the 70s, they wanted it to become more American. And so they were sort of shifting the nexus of the band westward. So in 1975 is when Stevie and Lindsay joined. And that's really when... The and they're band, American. Yeah, they're and American. They, John and Mick are British. Mm-hmm. Okay. They met in... Actually, Stevie and Lindsay went to high school together okay. in Menlo Park, California. Oh. And Stevie was, I think, a senior and Lindsay was a junior. Oh, May, they, December. <laughs> <laughs> May, June romances. <laughs> Young love. Um, they were out at a... I think it was some sort of like after school party and they were harmonizing and... I think Lindsay said it was a Beach Boys song, and Stevie, of course, was like, no, it wasn't. It was California Dreaming by the Mamas and the Papas, because, of course, they can't even agree at the very moment they met. Um, And they just realized that they had some sort of chemistry between them, whether it be romantic or musical. And yeah, then they played in a band called Fritz in San Francisco area. And the Fritz actually opened for a couple big bands. They were kind of well-known in the Bay Area. And then they decided to do a, a duo album. They shopped it around to a bunch of different labels. Polydor ended up signing them. They put out an album, I think it's 73, called Buckingham Knicks. And it was produced by this guy, Keith Olsen, who Stevie ended up being the cleaning lady for. Mm. So she had a bunch of odd jobs, I think. You mentioned that earlier? She mentioned herself. We had Stevie on where she mentioned she was a waitress. Of course she did. She loves telling that story, actually. She was a a waitress at Bob's Big Boy. (laughs) And uh, she was a cleaning lady for Keith Olsen. And actually, Stevie was the one that essentially was the breadwinner. While Lindsay was off producing records and such, Stevie was the one who was actually making money for them to live. Mm. But yeah, they ended up putting out this record. It was pretty much ignored by their label it's a fabulous record it's totally out of print is it on spotify i don't think it is no but wow it's so weird because during their last tour that they did they would play a song from the album i think and they would talk about we should put this back out it's been (laughs) (laughs) it's been forever we should just put it back out and everyone was like yes Yes, please please." because the vinyl copies are it's like her Why Can't Tori Read? Yeah, kind of. Hmm, parallels. Yeah. A lot <laughs> you, of the songs. Do you have a copy? I do. Oh. I actually, I did this long cross-country road trip like eight years ago, and I stopped in record stores in every single town looking mm. for Buckingham Knicks, and I finally found it in Rapid City, South Dakota. Wow. And it was $2. Whoa, that's awesome. It is not the best copy, but it is a copy. But you have a copy. I do. So they join Fleetwood Mac, the Americans meet the British. What happens? Is this when rumors comes out? Well, and the drama begins. It's actually kind of cool because when Mick Fleetwood was looking to replace members of the band, he was looking for Americans and he was played. Actually, he was at Sound City Studios in LA, which is where Stevie and Lindsay had recorded 
Buckingham Knicks with Keith Olsen. And Mick Fleetwood was asking Keith Olsen, who's a good guitarist that I could hire? And Keith played him Buckingham Knicks. And he asked Lindsay to join the band. And he said, I'll only join if I can bring Stevie. They were a package duo. Oh, not without my daughter. <laughs> so as you could tell, they were. it was a good day for Stevie yeah. and Lindsay. Um, that was, I think, in October. And then on New Year's Eve, McFleet would ask them both to be part of the band officially. So the next year they put out what's called the White Album, okay. um, just Fleetwood Mac. And that did incredibly well. And that's what Landslide is on. And some other like classic songs, beautiful songs on that record. And then Rumors came two years later, which is like one of the biggest albums of all time. How did Christine McVie join the band? What's this? Christine and John were married, actually. And so Christine had been a part of the band before Stevie and Lindsay were part of the band. Ah. Christine and uh, Stevie had a real kinship. They kind of loved having two girls in this band that was like, you know, it was very dude rock before. Right. And I think they were kind of like a dynamic duo. But when the White Album did really well, Christine had actually written a lot of the singles that performed the best on the charts. And the success of that album kind of drove Christine and John apart. Their marriage kind of fell apart in between that album and Rumors. And you're only talking like two years. And in that time, also Stevie and Lindsay have a whole moment of turmoil and tension. And they, I think they break up and then Stevie sleeps with Mick. (gasps) Shut up. Yeah. Oh my God. It was a whole thing. I mean, that's why Rumors is like the stories behind it are enough to just go. I mean, you could talk forever about rumors and they do i mean you know everyone loves <laughs> and we still are it's like, we still are talking oh yeah fleetwood mac only put out one album it's right like, rumors Girl. and then time space by stevie <laughs> nicks <laughs> tell me everything about landslide that we haven't covered so i know that that was the first song she wrote for the album mm-hmm. that ended up on the album and she was in aspen colorado we talked about this earlier yeah but you have a little bit more detail. She had, you know, been working a lot of different jobs to try to support her and Lindsay. They had been really proud of Buckingham Nixon. And I think rightfully so. I mean, it's it's an incredible album. I think you can stream it on YouTube if you want to find it. I do. It's gorgeous. And they ended up actually taking one of the songs from Buckingham Nixon and re-recording it for the White Album for mm. Fleetwood Mac. Um, they took the song Crystal. That It's a gorgeous song. And then Stevie also re-released a version of her, just her singing it for the Practical Magic <laughs> soundtrack, which... Never one to shy away from drama. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> All the versions of that song are, are awesome. But um, that record, it did poorly, and they were dropped from Polydor, and they had a bunch of songs that they wanted to use um they ended up moving to aspen stevie had this conversation ostensibly with her father where she was going back and forth i think it was in like november of 1973 and they were talking about music and she she was young she was in her 20s and she was like i don't know if i can keep going with this we're just not getting anywhere we had the taste of stardom yeah you had your album. You had an Nicks. album yeah. yeah they recorded at sound city studios i mean they felt like they had made it and yeah. then it was torn away from them right and um, one big picture video and it's all gone <laughs> and it's all gone <laughs> and and she wasn't ready to give up on it but she was pretty close right she and her father had a conversation where he said why don't you give it six more months and in six months, you'll probably know what you need to do. And if you want, your mother and I will support you to come back to Phoenix and 
we'll pay for you to go back to school. You can study whatever you want. You've tried for the music thing for a while, but it may just not be in the cards for you. And they moved to Aspen. They drove in their Toyota to Aspen. They had a dog with them. Mm-hmm. And I think when they got to Aspen, the car ended up breaking down. <laughs> And they had like no money. They ended up sort of networking and Aspen and they ended up getting to stay at this like $10 million house for free. Wow. While the owners, I think, were away. And there was this beautiful piano there. Stevie brought her guitar. And Lindsay ended up going off because he got a job with the Everly Brothers playing guitar for their tour. And Lindsay went off and she thought he was going to make all this money on the tour. He didn't end up making a lot of money on the tour at all. And during that time, Stevie got, I think, pretty frustrated that here she was sort of supporting Lindsay. And And then he left her. He left her and she was stuck in Aspen and she was surrounded, you know, I think you you mentioned this by mountains, and she looked out at all these mountains, which is was a very different sort of topography than when she was used to with California and Phoenix, and these sort of white-capped, snow-covered mountains. So I think partially, you know, her father was undergoing surgery at the Mayo Clinic in 1974, so I think there was a part of his mortality that bled into the song, mm-hmm. but I think it's really a moment of reckoning, a moment of this all could go down really poorly. The relationship with Lindsay. The music um, career. The music career, you know, it it could all fall down. And she kept talking about the concept of avalanches being so present in her mind for the first time. And she and Lindsay really had gone out to Aspen out of fear. And fear is never a good place for a relationship to be sort of based in. And so her fear was really, I've built my life around this person can I go on without Lindsay? Can I be a solo artist? Do I even want to continue doing music? I've built my life around music. I've built my life around the idea of being a rock star. You know, as I see the seasons changing, am I willing to keep going or will it all fall apart? So she also wrote Rhiannon at the same time as that. Um, I love that song. A bunch of songs that ended up coming out later in her career, actually. She did sort of a digging back into the vault type project and a bunch of those songs had come out of the Aspen time but yeah she uh she didn't have to wait long because you know that song came out just a year later and Mm -hmm. it's probably one of their biggest most beloved hits and you know i mean everyone's covered it smashing pumpkins dixie chicks miley cyrus the masters the masters of their genres Um, the true artists. <laughs> the true artists have covered this song. Yeah, but she wrote it on her guitar, which is also interesting because everyone thinks of Lindsay's guitar right. as being so iconic. And what I love is she kind of makes space for him to be that in the song. Uh-huh. He has that gorgeous guitar solo. In a weird moment, there's no ego there from her, I think, and she sort of shares space with him. You know, in many ways that people will obviously slag on them for both being so dramatic to each other. They also still made a lot of space for each other. And I think that the fact that that song endured for so long for both of them, I think, is pretty amazing. Where do you put that song on your personal song list favorites? I actually never really liked Landslide until I heard... (laughs) And that's why you're here. (laughs) Until I heard Tori cover it in um, 2011. Really? Yeah. There was something about that tour, how she used it as sort of... I don't want to say an in-between song, right? But it was almost like resetting the stage, you know, Mm -hmm. after Shattering Sea or Mm -hmm. something. Where Landslide started to take on, it felt like to me a new meaning of, you know, I'm getting older too. I'm seeing the seasons of my life go by. And there was sort of a moment of acknowledgement of aging. I mm-hmm. think and what comes with that and it held a different gravity to me that I had never really explored in Stevie's version 
I love Stevie's version and the live version from the dance that they released as a single in 1997 was amazing. But you know, you hear it on the radio all the time and it starts to lose a bit of its potency and then all of a sudden Tori did it out of nowhere. And I think everyone that we were touring with was also like, ugh, landslide. <laughs> You're like, no, this Get is amazing. And then all of a sudden there was maybe like, you don't understand. This is beautiful. Uh, there's always someone, right? You're like, we're done with this song. And then there's one of your friends who's like... And it's usually Peter. <laughs> just... <laughs> Ugh, gotta have a moment with it. Uh, Tori says in Spin Magazine, November 2002, about Fleetwood Mac's album, Rumors, she says, one of the greatest pop albums ever made, both for the songs and the sound. The producers and engineers really knew what they were doing. There was a certain art to record making back then. They may have well been coked up or whatever, but they still had their ears. <laughs> Take yeah, us it's... into Rumors. Where does How does Fleetwood Mac, you said the relationships had been falling apart. Well, there's actually, there's another great Stevie story from Rumors. Rumors, which I feel like is actually kind of a Tory story, too. Ooh. Uh, Stevie had written a song called Silver Springs, which Tori ended up covering, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and Silver Springs was written for Rumors, and it was one of Stevie's favorite things that she'd ever written. When Mick submitted the final masters to the label, the story goes that he ended up taking Silver Springs off and replacing it with another Stevie song without her permission. But, it, you know, it was his band at the time, and he was the one that made those decisions. And so he just ended up... He was pissed because he and Stevie had had a fling and the song is very dark and, you know, I'll follow you around to the sound of my voice will haunt you. (laughs) You'll never get away from the sound of the woman that loves you. Like, wow, it's desperate and it's difficult and it's heart wrenching and beautiful and... think he was jealous of Lindsay and I think he knew that he would never ever have a love like Stevie and Lindsay ever had. Wow. Um that's heavy. And she had really just written the song I think from an incredibly authentic place and so for her it meant a lot. She ended up actually I think she gave her mom the songwriting credit on that song as wow. a way of like saying thank you for supporting me and my artistry and I can do this now and cuz they knew at that point that Fleetwood Mac was A big deal. And rumors, people were anticipating that album. And (laughs) Silver Springs gets kicked off. Stevie finds out. It ends up being the B-side, I think, to Go Your Own Way, which is a song (laughs) Lindsay wrote about Stevie. (laughs) And it's just this whole thing. But Silver Springs ended up becoming a huge fan favorite. And I think just like Honey, 
you know, the songs that get kicked off that sometimes people love more than what's on the album. Because Mick was such a dingling. Such a dingling. <laughs> it did get kicked off in mastering. Because he was such a dingling. They ended up doing it in 97 for the dance tour, which is when they all got back together for that huge live reunion. album and a yeah. reunion that came out. Um, so they kicked off Silver Springs. They replaced it with I Don't Want to Know, which Stevie had written, I think, back for Buckingham Knicks for their second album, actually. Um, and they recorded it early in the rumors era it's fine but whenever you listen to that versus silver springs you're like you've got to be kidding me um (laughs) but then when they put out the dance they ended up releasing silver springs as a single too Uh i think is a way of sort of saying sorry to stevie right but it's a sort of typical stevie way at the end of the song she goes (laughs) people are clapping she goes thank you so much silver springs is a great old song thank you (laughs) thank you very much we really appreciate it silver springs is a great old song thank you it's so like she's acknowledging like yeah I wrote this kick-ass song and these assholes just <laughs> kicked it off or whatever. It's a great old song. Oh, Stevie. Never one to shy away from drama. You can say that again. Thank you for the intel on rumors. Time for some quotes. When Tori was talking about her Scarlet's Walk album on Niumu.com, she described Scarlet's Walk as a sonic novel modeled after classic beat generation literature such as Kerouac's On the Road and classic 70s albums such as Fleetwood Mac's Rumors and Neil Young's Harvest. And then on CNN.com, they ask her, what influenced you musically for this album? And she says, I was kind of studying all the great 70s records for this album. It's patterned more after classic song structure, Fleetwood Mac's Rumors, Neil Young's Harvest, you know. I think that I was trying to just immerse myself in the way things were recorded. It was a real craftsmanship. It's very hand-done, handmade. And so we approached it like that. It does have a very warm feeling to it, Rumors Mm -hmm. does. That is sort of carried through with Scarlet's Walk. I agree with that. I can definitely hear that. You can feel like... It reminds me of Hegira, too, by Joni Mitchell in some ways. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hegira, sort of a long car ride. Yeah, Sort of cocaine-fueled fever dream. I love Hegira. Don't tell David. But Dreams is a gateway, I think. Dreams is a really incredible song. Probably one of the best songs ever written. But you're here for Landslide. Tori's cover, do you give it the stamp of approval? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. You liked it before you liked the original. I did. You know, you know a song is Mm well-written and you appreciate what it does. But I think maybe because also when I got into Landside from Fleetwood Mac, it was also at the time when the Pumpkins and the Dixie Chicks were playing and it was, you know, on the radio a lot. lot. Just people were covering it and it was like a karaoke song. It was such a... So being a big Fleetwood Mac and Stevie Nicks fan, it was like, oh, I've got to find the other songs. I've got to find the B-sides and the unreleased songs and the Buckingham Nicks album, you know, all of that stuff. And you're kind of like, okay, well, I know the singles, you know, I'm good. But yeah, there were other Stevie songs that stuck out to me. You know, I love Christine's songs, especially like, I think actually, arguably, she writes the best pop music for Fleetwood Mac. I mean, Stevie and Lindsay both, you know, are writers on the albums too. But Christine just has a real pop sensibility, like Over My Head and Hold Me and Who wrote The Chain? Actually, that's, I think, one of the only songs where they all wrote the song. Oh, really? Yeah. Tori must put The Chain on her 2012 summer playlist on (laughs) songza.com. She put that chain. Now, 
Well, since you clearly should have your own show, the songs of Fleetwood Mac, <laughs> which I'm happy to produce for you. <laughs> you have such a soothing voice. I bet you'd have a million listeners and you have such great information. Follow us on Patreon. <laughs> At the At songs, songs of, of Fleetwood Mac. What, what the was songs it? of not Tori Amos. Right? What would it be called? I heard a rumor. Oh. Oh, you are? See, this is why you should do it. Yeah, I already have titles for Lana Del Rey, which we're calling Lana Del Radio. Oh, my God. And then I had one for Mariah Carey. Oh, yeah, Carried Away, the songs of Mariah Carey. <laughs> Lana Del Radio, the songs of Lana Del Rey. I heard a rumor, the songs of Fleetwood Mac. I, I want like a whole Mariah industry. Mariah Carey, Carried Away. I feel like she would be so into that. I think she would. She would be a guest on every episode, and Talk you know about it. someone who has not been given nearly the credit for her songwriting she's an amazing songwriter people don't know that every number one hit she's ever had she's written yeah she except for without you i love that that even number one no i don't think it was number one yeah so every number one hit she's ever had she's been a songwriter not only just the lyrics but also the melody people I, I think there's that story where she was in a meeting about a song for, I think it was like gloria stefan is what it came out and they needed to write a song for her and she was playing around with ideas and she went to the bathroom and came back and she had written hero in her head she was like no i'm keeping that for myself <laughs> smart girl carried away smart girl carried away we're getting carried away right now oh my god a little taste of what's to come in 2020 <laughs> folks i want to use this episode since we'll never talk about fleetwood mac again hopefully no i'm just Womp kidding <laughs> because it never appears in tori's canon again I wanted to take a little moment. I wanted to invite you to do like a mini live section about the other songs that aren't Landslide. Sure. Since you've given Landslide your stamp of approval, <laughs> uh, emphatically 100%. I want to talk about these other things that Tori's done. And I've compiled a list of every time she's done a Fleetwood Mac song that wasn't Landslide. And the total number is 22. Not 22 other songs, but she's done one, two, three, four, five different songs 22 mm. times. I can't believe she's only done Dreams Once. Yeah, Dreams Once for her brother in Raleigh, North Carolina. But she doesn't start there. Let's start with Songbird. Songbird goes back as far as 1996 that we have on record. Of course, it could have gone way further than that. Because what David and I mentioned earlier was that there's an article that came out about her in 1984 that someone heard her. In D.C. when she was playing in D.C.? This is from the Washington Post. And we read it earlier, but Peter wasn't here. There was music coming out of this newish looking brick building on M Street the other night a sultry female voice singing something by stevie nicks coming right out of the building it seemed so god knows what she was playing could have been songbird could have been landslide wow yeah it's pretty cool yeah very cool so what do you think of songbird tell us a little bit of the history of songbird and then we'll play a live version i actually think this song is fascinating that tori stuck to it so much i mean not so much right she's only played it 13 times but still it's it's a recurring song throughout Mm -hmm. her her tours but it's by christine mcvee and she wrote it on piano and you know tori just doesn't often cover women who wrote on piano i think there's part of wanting to deconstruct a song and then recontextualize it and rebuild it for that space right and so that's why so many of those covers are so arresting is because they're so dramatically different yeah you know songbird is one of those where i think her interpretation's fairly faithful Mm -hmm. to it it's one of those songs that i don't think begs to really do more than just be what it is Mm -hmm. i think it's a really beautiful tender moment that falls right in the middle of rumors when you kind of need a a moment to have this space and breath. And I think one of Christine's most gorgeous melodies. And I think the story is that she wrote it 
at like three in the morning. She played it until the morning because she was so worried she was going to forget it. And I don't think she knew how to record, press record. (laughs) And so she just, she just kept playing it. Blood on the piano. Her fingers Fingers bleed. Slowly starts getting faster and faster and faster. Um, let's play two memorable performances of this from me. This is April 21st, 2003 in Albuquerque. I was there. This was an amazing moment. Here we go. Let's listen to the last time she performed Songbird. This was November 28th, 2017 in San Diego. We were both there. Oh, at the Balboa. Oh, let's listen. What a beautiful tour. The Native Invader tour. There is this part of me that because maybe it's September now and, you know, two years ago was when we were... Hitting the road. Hitting the road, putting together the spreadsheet that told us where Waffle Houses and Del Del Tacos were. That was Shaggy. We miss you, Shaggy. (laughs) But that tour is so special and spending those nights with you. Yeah. Because she did Songbird kind of at the beginning and the end of the tour. She did. It was like our bookends. It was our bookends. So the very next song that she would ever perform that wasn't Songbird or Landslide by Fleetwood Mac was Dreams. As you mentioned earlier, she did this in North Carolina. This is one of my favorite of her covers, uh, and it was for her brother. It was on the Summer of Sin tour, and she even mentions that it's for her brother. So let's listen to a little bit of Dreams. song once as you mentioned it really bums me out that she only did it once i mean it's such a beautiful song in that the melody again is just one of those stevie melodies mm-hmm. that gets in your head and it's it's honestly so easy it's only two chords it's c oh, really? and d and it just goes up and down it sort of creates this flow you know this kind of rolling flow that i think people don't necessarily think of stevie as being rhythmic mm-hmm. um but there's a really great rhythm to that song and that's actually one of their biggest hits yeah yeah absolutely and so it's sort of surprising she didn't do it more because it more the very next song that she would ever do in fleetwood max canon from their catalog was in may may 26th 2014 in rotterdam she debuted silver springs let's listen to that Baby, 
What did you think of her live performances of Silver Springs? I'm so glad that she does Silver Springs because I think it is one of those songs that it makes so much sense to me why she would do it. But, you know, with the piano bar moment of 2014, we all Mm -hmm. were clamoring to get our (laughs) requests in and... Mm -hmm. I was just so excited because um, our friend Mary Kirk was wanting her to do Silver Springs. And at the Denver show, I remember it just like when she started playing it, I think we both freaked out. And then, you know, you see everyone along the row sort of start to freak out. And they're like, oh, my God, because it's it was such a that show was just so electric. The Denver show, I think that was probably my favorite show of 2014. Yeah. Well, we got pirates. Oh, yeah. Pirates. Yeah. We dressed up as pirates of the mean green. We just kept freaking out at every moment when she was pulling out whatever it was. It's just song after song. And there was just something so electric. And then Silver Springs just made sense. Mm -hmm. You know when those covers just make sense? And it's like, of course, that song would fit in with this show. Yeah. Yeah. Let's listen to that. This is Denver from 2014, July 27th for Mary Kirk. Next time she would debut anything from the Nick's Fleetwood Mac catalog was when she would do Edge of Seventeen with When Doves Cry. Let's listen to that. fact, Peter, Edge of Seventeen was my introduction to Stevie Nicks because my mom had Belladonna and this song taught me how transcendent music can be and how you can go on like a 40, is it 35 minutes, 40 minutes, that song? Journey. Um, that tells a story that never repeat. It doesn't Ugh. have the basic verse chorus structure. I mean, it's kind of like stream of conscious yeah. and I fucking love it. It's so great. Yeah. I think that's when people go solo, right? When artists go solo, sometimes you wonder, is it just sort of a cheap shot at like the band? Mm-hmm. Like I'm not getting enough creative freedom. Stevie had so many songs and on any fluid Mac record, she only had space for three, maybe four of her own mm-hmm. songs. I mean, mm-hmm. 
Tusk was a double album. And if you haven't heard Tusk that came out in 1979, listen to it because it's my favorite Fleetwood Mac album. Really? It's super experimental. It's weird. It's difficult. Stevie has a song in there called Sarah that was originally 16 minutes long that they (laughs) made her cut down. just like kept going. And so I think for her, she had volumes of songs. And so it was a natural progression for her to to want to go solo and especially to do different things and try different sounds and work with different people. And Edge of 17, it's so iconic, but the fact that she came out with Belladonna and those songs were so iconic and they were so lived in and they weren't fabricated to build off of the success of Rumors and the White Album, you know, that she was able to really establish herself and her voice that you had kind of heard right through Rhiannon and Gold Dust Woman and then Edge of Seventeen comes out and it's like a lightning rod. But I also love that she... Tori, of course, connects the doves crying with the white winged right, dove. Right. You know, it's like, how can I connect these two songs? But there's actually, right. I'm sorry to go on so many tangents, but there's an amazing connection between Stevie and Prince, actually, which is kind of wonderful. Do you know, know this story? I do know this story. About Stand Back. Yeah, how oh. she was on her honeymoon, right? Driving to her honeymoon. Mm. She was listening to Raspberry Beret and she got this inspiration for stand back and she called prince and she was like immediately i we must go into the studio get over here and he's like no and then he shows up unexpectedly <laughs> and plays keyboards on un, like uncredited yeah on stand back she says she loves playing that song because it reminds her so much of him yeah and that she feels like she needs to give him half songwriting credit she should have <laughs> <laughs> she should have at least credited him right. a little bit come on I want to talk about Edge of Seventeen because I was singing Edge of Seventeen while I was at work. You know, I work with teenagers. Mm. And one day I was like listening to it on Spotify and I thought maybe I shouldn't be listening to it here. So then I quickly typed in my phone, Edge of Seventeen, meaning, and there's this whole page devoted to like quotes of Edge of Seventeen, like what she said about it. And do you know the story? Mm-hmm. What I remember is that her uncle was dying and no one would go to be with him. And so she went to be with her uncle. And meanwhile, her husband, John Lennon, had just been shot. And they they were really good friends. And he was going through something that she couldn't help him with. And she realized, like, the best thing that she can do for him is not be around. Mm. So she left to be with her uncle. And then as he died, he died holding her hand that the white-winged dove is his soul kind of, like, going out of his body. What I love about Stevie is she's unapologetic about her poetry. And the mysticism. The mysticism. She, I mean, she still handwrites all of her lyrics. She stays, she's a nocturnal being. She stays up until 6 a.m. and wow. goes to sleep. And she has these huge leather-bound books that she still just writes poem and after poem after poem. And, and she says that by the time it comes time for her to write a song, she's already thought about it so much or she's already written so much of the poetry that informs that song that she can sit down in 10 minutes and sometimes it just comes through her. Wow. And I think when you listen to something like Edge of 17, here's a song that blew up the charts and is just so iconic and yet the lyrics are poetry. Yeah. I mean, and to think that, first of all, that her label or that radio would take an interest in that is amazing, but also just that listeners, considering how much people feel like, oh, you can't put that on the radio, it's too difficult, or, you know, and she put it they all put it there. Up, yeah. Even before I knew it was a single, just hearing that song in context of the album as a child, that was the song that I loved, you know? Yeah. That whole Belladonna era is so 
wonderful to watch because also to see her go back to Fleetwood Mac after for Mirage and then go back out on her own for Wild Heart and just the kind of going back and forth between her and Fleetwood Mac and so seeing her growth in both areas of her work and is pretty astounding. I mean, I do think someone needs to give Tori a mixtape of later era Stevie <laughs> Nicks because there is some there are some gems. There are some gems. Because the next thing that she would do was Gold Dust Woman in Washington, D.C. Here's the performance from August 16th, the songs that she's done by Fleetwood Mac. What do you think of Gold Dust Woman? I love Gold Dust Woman. If you've never seen Fleetwood Mac, this is one of the lightning rod moments of the show because she gets her shawl <laughs> and the band goes for it. And it's usually six to ten minutes long. Wow. And it just builds and builds and builds towards that final catharsis and just... It's exactly why you think of Stevie as witchy uh-huh. and dark and sort of mercurial. It's so perfectly, it's what created the stereotype, right? But it's also just so perfect and it's not at all cheesy. And, uh-huh. uh, it's you, so you know weird. when I first found out about the stereotype was when Madonna and Rosie O'Donnell were on Arsenio Hall. <laughs> And Rosie was wearing this long black dress and they made her stand up and show her outfit. And she had a shawl and she's like, look, I'm Stevie Nicks. Here, let's play that right here. Oh Just like a one wing And she did that impression. Yeah, that's one of the best. Obviously, we have to make space mm-hmm. for Lucy Lawless and her <laughs> flawless impression of Stevie Nicks on SNL when they did the Stevie Nicks fajita roundup. Oh, yes. Let's play that right now. You placed an order. I wrote it down. Three enchiladas, the best in town. And then I Thank you for reminding me. (laughs) And I saw my reflection in the big pile of nachos. (laughs) That's how landslide, that's what it means to me. Yeah, I'm hungry. Now I am hungry. Um, Of all of these covers that she's done by Fleetwood Mac and Stevie Nicks solo, which one is your favorite individually and which performance has been your favorite? Um, Probably the one that 
other than Landslide. Other than Landslide. Would be the Wallingford version of Songbird. Let's play that right here. This is November 16, 2002. the night after my first toy show and she played songbird really yeah and i convinced my mom to take me to that show like, she See, was mom? like we just saw her what the hell See, mom <laughs> are you glad we didn't miss this i was such a shit to my parents but rightfully so because in 2001 i had tickets to dc and philadelphia and then September 11th happened. They were oh. like, we're never oh, going yeah. to a show ever again. Yeah. And so I me. guilted them into taking yeah, me to two shows. Very next tour. And they didn't understand it at all. They were like, this doesn't make sense. Why would you see the same show? And actually, I think she did Songbird and on Saturday. What was the Ricky Lee Jones song that she did? Saturday afternoon yeah. in 1963. 1963. I think she did those in Wallingford. And my mom was like, yeah, okay, she's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you, Stevie. Thank you, Ricky. Thanks, Mom. Ricky Lee Jones. Um, <laughs> Thanks, Mom. Peter, this has been such a delight. Thank you for coming on to be our Fleetwood Mac expert. Do all of these songs get the stamp of approval? Oh, yeah. Yo, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the full-on stamp of approval. Oh, I yeah. I mean, I would like to hear Edge of Seventeen again. Yeah, I would like her to do the whole damn thing. I want There's her few... to do it with the band. Yes. Can you imagine? You know, that's I insane. had this weird thing where I kind of want her to, like, just freak us all out and like walk away from the piano and all of a sudden like pull a shawl out and just start <laughs> screaming at us like she missed her opportunity on american doll posse one of those dolls could have had a shawl and could have been standing at the mic just kind of witchy oh my God. it would have been amazing what would that doll's name would have been and who would they have which replaced? doll would have been i mean it would have been isabel it would have had to have been isabel but there are other eras where i think other dolls like I definitely think Clyde would have been 1975 era Stevie Nicks. Yeah, that would have worked. Or she should have just had six dolls. Or she should have had five dolls and one of them wasn't Tori. A fifth doll that was like, what would her name be? Hmm. Mist. For Miss (laughs) Torius. Misty. It would have to be Misty. Misty. Oh, could you imagine? Isabel, Santa, Pip, Clyde, and Misty. Misty. (laughs) For Miss Torius. <laughs> down from the mountains in her shawls and her mist. Oh. <laughs> they, they could have a fog machine. Oh, that would be great. And then she would just stand there in her like Emerge. Wings. She would have stolen, obviously, Santa's lamp. Mm-hmm. Or, <laughs> it was Isabel's, or Isabel's lamp. lamp. <laughs> plugged in. It was plugged Pop in. table. I know. <laughs> oh, she walks right past the knife and the gun. I mean, who was the, the stage manager on that tour? <laughs> Too many props to count. What if she came back as a different character? Chelsea. Peter, this has been so lovely. Please let us know when your podcast debuts. I heard a rumor. I heard a rumor. I heard I'm a rumor. I'm already getting carried away. <laughs> Please let us know when that debuts <laughs> as well. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to Peter. And we'll have you back on Thank you soon. for having me, friend. What song do you want from Choir Girl to claim? 
Pandora. Oh, that's so far away. I know. It gives me some time. Okay. <laughs> Get you're my voice back. <laughs> yeah, you're all talked out. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Peter Zimmerman, and we'll be right back. Can we transform you back to David for the landslide live section? Do you mind? I guess just this once. Okay. Bye. This is an incredible cover by a street performer in a New York City subway. You can find the video on YouTube. those covers david she's done a lot of fleetwood mac she has i didn't realize i don't think i've ever heard most of these live personally no like oh you mean in person in person yes Mm. i did hear songbird you did yeah last tour in san diego i think right yeah um i heard dreams live and that's all that matters to me lucky shall we do the live versions of landslide david sure so let's go in order yeah let's be wild let's go in chronological order all right (laughs) the virgo in my heart has rised above (laughs) In 1992, there's no known times that she played it, though if she was playing it in 1984, you know she played it in 1992. It's just that the people that were alive back then didn't keep accurate set lists. Jerks. So we can't, unfortunately, chronicle 92, but we can chronicle 1994. And we have on record that she did it 21 times, David. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? In fact, that Tori Stories clip that we played earlier, where she talks about she plays this when she's sad. Not that I'm sad or anything. Relax. That was August 3rd, 1994 in Tampa. So that's what we had played earlier. This is from the October 21st in Orono, Maine. This is a relatively new bootleg. Recently discovered. Recently discovered. Recently uncovered by Lisa Ridlon. So let's play that just to honor the fact that new things are popping up every day. Flow. The. Shall we move on to 1996? Do it. My honey, do drop in at the do drop off. 
the very first instance we have of her playing this was on a radio program. She performed Landslide on 99X Atlanta on April 14th, 1996. And it was a radio promo, so it was interesting during that time. And all, I guess always in her radio promo, she does covers. And she did Landslide here. So let's play a little of that. That intro reminds me of a little Jackie's strength. She's feeling a little Jackie's strength right there. <laughs> Jackie was, yeah, making her presence known. Jackie she was starting was to poke through the veil. Popping up. It's me, a Jackie. Give me a Slurpee. Hey. So let's skip ahead to the end of the 96 tour, David. This holds a very special place on the set list at the end. This was mm-hmm. the first song she did at the last show. This was the first song she did in the first encore. So after the main set's over, she comes back, knowingly only has probably about four songs left, five maybe. Starts with Landslide. tearjerker yeah you were there i don't think it was on the set list it wasn't i don't think so i think she really went off the rails with the set list and didn't do most of what she was planning on playing that night especially in the encores that's great to hear that she kind of just felt it whatever was going to come was going to come it Mm. reminds me of that miami show whatever's going to come is going to come and also what's impressive is that she just knows that song from years of piano barring Mm -hmm. just knows that song got that muscle memory So she performed it a total of 23 times in 96. So she's feeling this song in 96, right? For a cover? Yeah, that's a lot of appearances. Yeah. Ow, 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 I'm fine. (laughs) Um, In Plugged, in 1998, Tori performed this song 14 times. That's quite a few. That's quite a few considering how few solo spots she had. She never performed this with the band. Never did a wild reimagining. You want to spend five and a half weeks to Dallas and back? I want to spend five and a half weeks in Concord. Shay's hometown. Concord, California. I've been there. I've been drunk in Concord. This is September 19th, the day after someone's birthday. In 1999, while on the five and a half weeks tour, Tori Amos sang this for my birthday for me. Side note, it's hysterical that anyone felt old in 1999. She did it six times in 99, which is a lot considering how few spots she had in 1999 on the Five and a Half Weeks tour, how few solo spots she had. She did do the little solo tour after, 
But still, that's a lot for 99. She did it on her own birthday, too. Yeah. In August 22nd in, uh, in Nashville. I was there. You two are linked. Oddly, on her own birthday, she was still thinking of you. I think she's saying even Ephraim gets older. I, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. That's what everybody tells me. Strange. So strange. In 2001, Tori performed the song 10 times. So still present for the amount of shows she did. Still present. Uh, this is from October 11th in New York City. meaningful that she did that in new york city and it kind of took on a different meaning don't you think so closely after september 11th Mm. choosing to play this cover in new york city i think was meaningful that was scarlet jogging (laughs) scarlet's jog looks like a pump feels like a sneaker in 2002 2003 on the scarlet's walk tour tori amos performed this song nine times i saw it in dallas texas on april 23rd 2003 I was sitting next to G-Town. History was made. History was made because she does talk about this performance in Piece by Piece. Do you want to read this quote or shall I? You were there. I think you should read it. This is from Piece by Piece, the novel written by Ann Powers in conversation with Tori Amos. The furor over the Dixie Chicks when Natalie Maines made supposedly anti-Bush comments on stage that basically blackballed the group made it clear that by the time we rolled into Texas, I would have to acknowledge what had become a huge issue. So, I played Fleetwood Mac's Landslide, not just in honor of the Dixie Chicks, but to affirm freedom of speech. But I made sure that I did my own cover of Dixieland before I did Landslide that night in Dallas, because being a Southern-born woman, I wanted to make it clear that Dixie could not be about censorship, whether you're from Dixieland or a Dixie Chick. And if you break it down, every woman south of the Mason-Dixon line is a Dixie Chick. So the real point that I was making was that a woman from Dixie has the right to speak her mind, no different from a politician from Maine, having the right to speak his his mind without the threat of being blackballed and also natalie mains main dixie dixon and then she combusted <laughs> she started glitching <laughs> her head just popped out natalie mains portland Smoking. maine dixie mason dixon Maine, chicks main dixie Maine. dixie <laughs> anyway tori really knows how to play up her own contributions <laughs> i did it for the freedom of speech but what i was really doing someone had to <laughs> And I was the only one on stage that night. <laughs> when I wrote the line, I believe in peace, bitch. I knew I had an audience. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that was great. So anyway, moving on to the 2003 Lotta Pianos tour, which has its own bumper because it was its own tour. Play the bumper, Ollie. Lot. That's a lot of Pianos. I'm holding my tongue as I've been asked to do so many times. (laughs) She performed it three times, but it wasn't really its own tour. So we're going to move on to 2005. Just kidding. On the Summer of Sin and the Original Sensuality tours, she performed it three times. And here's the version from April 11th, 2005 in Pahiladelphia. Thank you. 
Mommy, what's a landslide? Where's that snow coming from? <laughs> On the American Doll Posse tour in 2007, Tori Amos performed this song three times. This is the last time she played it in 2007, David. I think we were both there in Oakland at the last of three shows. This was December 9th, 2007. And at that time in my life, this I think is when I really connected to the song. And the song, this night following Baker Baker, this I remember. So take my That's a one-two punch. Baker Baker into Landslide. She's feeling sad, obviously. Maybe she realized by then she would never release that DVD. Oh, David, it's 2009. You know what I'm feeling? A little bit sinful, perhaps. But also... A lot attractive. <laughs> well, it's reverse. Flip them. <laughs> she performed it three times in 2009, David. She loves it. It has appeared on every tour, basically, right? Every tour she's yeah, performed it. With the exception of possibly the 92 tour, but I believe that she did. It's 2011, David. What are you wearing? Choir robes. Queen-like robes. In 2011, on the Night of Hunters tour, Tori Amos performed the song nine times, David. Nine times? Nine times. The first time she did it was on October 29th, 2011 in a Gym. So when Tori performed Landslide on the Night of Hunters tour, it was always in the second slot and always followed by Swade. Swade. Interesting that on a tour that wasn't entirely solo, she kind of brought the show to a halt in this by the second song and played almost an entire song while the quartet stood behind her, kind of tuning. But that's what she did. Maybe they needed a long time for they did. Suede. Does that mean that Suede's in the same key as Landslide? Or were they just tuning their own off to the side on their own? I don't know. I would love to know. Let's get them on the show. Okay. When we get to Night of Hunters, we have to have them on the show. We got time. Start asking him now. She did not perform it in 2012 on the Gold Dust Orchestral Tour, but she did bring it back twice on the 2014 Unrepentant Geraldine's Tour. And this is July 30th in Austin, Texas. I would have expected more. I expected more from you, Tori. <laughs> really, David? Um, hasn't she given you landslide enough? Uh, but, you know, the 2014 tour was about sort of making peace with aging and menopause mm -hmm. and... Mm -hmm. Your lady landslide. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> Your lady landslide. Your lady landslide. So I would like to play this version now from the Native Invader tour in 2017 from September 30th. I had been itching for landslides since my birthday. And I, you know, I don't know if you recall, we had a European correspondent on our tour all night show by the name of Kathleen Patron. And she was calling in, giving us all the details of every show. I made a comment about, where's Landslide been? And little did I know, she went to Tori Amos at a meet and greet and said, Efren, the guy who is hosting the podcast, would love to hear Landslide. And so Tori Amos performed Landslide for me via Kathleen 
September 30th, 2017. And I had been itching for it since my birthday about 12 days before. And that's why it was on my mind. Here's Landslide from September 30th in Munich, Germany at the Philharmonie. for me david and you know what else she did it with that night river which that song was a consolation prize for me because the first time i ever asked her for Joni mitchell woodstock instead of playing woodstock she played river so she must have had me on the brain she must have remembered that request from 2001 you know 16 years later you're on her mind more often than she would ever admit so shout out to kathleen way to go girl thanks thanks girl i need a big loan from the patron zone mm, that's a good one Tori Amos performed Landslide two other times that tour, and this is the last time she performed it. On November 28th in 2017 in San Diego, California at the Balboa Theater, she did Landslide with Songbird that night. That was the last time she ever performed Landslide to date, but probably not the last time she'll ever perform Landslide. No, unlikely. Well, we did it, David. What a whirlwind. (laughs) Believe it or not, you have your head in your hands as if you couldn't believe it. I know. We're all getting older. The children. We've gotten older tonight, Uh, I feel. I feel it. But I do feel like we understand the song a little bit better. If you like what we do, head over to patreon.com slash songsoftoramus and become a supporter. Consider throwing us a couple bucks. If you really like what we do and want to hear more of us, head over to our other show, Never Shut Up, where we publish episodes five days a week, Today in Tory History, as well as a little pick-me-up. You can also follow us on our social media at Songs of Tori Amos across Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Head over to songsoftoramus.com to sign up for our newsletter and to see our vast archive of episodes, as well as our remix archive, which you're listening to something from that right now. Remix! How do you feel, David? Landslide has had its way with me. We only have one more song till Choir Girl. Last stop before the Choir Girl Hotel. (laughs) Choo-choo! You're taking a train? Yeah. Oh, I thought we agreed to drive and take turns, but okay. No, I want to get drunk in the drinking cart. (laughs) Anyway, thank you for listening. We really appreciate you all out there. Please come back for Siren. Don't let this episode scare you off. Bye. Bye. Drive All Night is a production of the Sideways Society. For more information and links to things mentioned in this episode, please visit us online at songsoftoriamus.com.
took my love, I took it down.